Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Are you ready for the Word of God this Sunday morning, church? I can sense it. I can feel it. I feel like God's put a word on my heart to bring to you today, and I want to continue a little bit in the vein that we spoke about last week. Of course, last week we celebrated Father's Day, and I spoke about what I hope is going to be, you know, kind of the driving force in our community, who we are as fathers and who we are as parents. But, and so we did that by looking at Jesus and his relationship with his earthly father, Joseph. But today I want to turn the lens and I want to look at Jesus's relationship with his heavenly father. And the truth is we all have a relationship with our heavenly father. And I want you to see how Jesus interacts with God and how God interacts with Jesus, because this is how God wants to interact with every single one of you. And even as I'm speaking as a parent, you might get some principles and and some things that you want to apply towards your children, and and, and that's phenomenal, and and I would really even pay attention from that perspective as well, but today, I'm really hoping you receive a revelation of how God sees you. Amen? Will you turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1? I'm going to get there a little bit later on in the sermon, but I thought I'd give you a head start, but I'm going to read to you from the book of Matthew to begin. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. So I'm going to Matthew 3, 16. And you're going to the book of Jeremiah in the prophets, chapter 1. And just you can just put your finger there and hold it there for, I don't know, 17 minutes or so. <laughs> That's probably exactly what it's going to be. Matthew chapter 3. The Bible says this. And, and, and well, what's happening here is Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And, and, and John is the forerunner of Christ. And John's confused because, see, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And Jesus had nothing to repent for. And so John says, why? Why are you being baptized? And even more than that, I'm not the one worthy to baptize you. But Jesus says, this is how it must be. Why? Because he was showing us how we have to all go through the waters of baptism and repentance. And so Jesus said, even though I don't have to do it, I'm gonna, I will do it to show my heirs, my children, what's to be done. And every Sunday we witness a baptism, a holy moment. And here in this moment, in Jesus' baptism, the Bible says in verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. This is God's reaction towards you. His reaction towards his sons and his daughters can be found in this verse. And we're going to go phrase by phrase so that we could get an understanding just exactly who our Heavenly Father is. Amen? Amen. And so, Lord, right now we ask you to come and give us that revelation that we can understand you and who we are to you. And I pray, God, that even today we get a fresh revelation of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When I was in high school, I went to a Christian high school, and they invited us to go do a chapel for another Christian school, younger kids, and, and we were going to do, you know, the, the worship and, uh, you know, the, 
the announcements and, you know, prophetic dancing, whatever, whatever we do. And they said, in Jordan, you're, you are going to preach. I was probably 16 or 17. So we all got in the church van. You remember the days of the church van? And we were driving over to this school. And on the way there, the teacher that was heading it all up started telling us exactly how the, the, the spiritual state of the school was that we were headed towards. And he was telling us, guys, it's not good over there. They need revival, people. They need revival bad. So when you speak to those first graders that need revival, <laughs> you let them have it. And he's going on and on. He said, I'll tell you another thing. Those teachers need revival. They're the problem. You know, I think he had a personal thing against the teachers, to be honest. And those teachers, the principal, you know, he's going. And so I'm in the back, all the way in the back, you know, where, like, where every bump was like, you know. And I'm getting hyped, you know, I'm getting jostled and I'm getting rowdy, you know, and everything. He's like, go get them. And I'm like, let's go. So worship went on and, you know, the prophetic dance. And then they, I got up there and, and I got up there and I said, let me tell you guys something. This place is spiritually dead. And all the third graders like, you know, you're reading comic books. I'm, I'm over here condemning them. And I'm telling them, you need, you need Jesus. You get that, Johnny? You need Jesus. And then I, then I went after the teachers, you know, and then another thing. <laughs> All these teachers are sitting down during worship. It's like, yeah, because they're, they're mad old. They can't stand. They're, like, these, these, these teachers have been there for 30 years, you know? And so I thought it went well, to be honest. By the end of the service, I walked away like, got them, you know? <laughs> well, they thought otherwise. So a week later, we received a letter notarized on a nice heading. And in the letter, they said, we hereby are notifying you that you are no longer welcome at our school. You have been disinvited. You are banned. You're on a list. Don't come back. That was the gist of it. And the letter came to this teacher, and he grabbed me and pulls me in a side room. And he says, I got bad news. It did not go well when we went to that school. And he's holding the letter, and he's all sweaty, you know, and it's all crumpled. And he's like, he's like, Look at this letter. Read this letter. And I read it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm graduating, you know. I don't see why this is on me. This seems like it's a you thing, man. This is a you problem. You're the teacher. And he starts going like, no, you don't understand how bad this is. You don't understand. He goes, your dad, who is the chairman of the school, your father is going to be so angry. And I was like, I don't think so. He said, you know, your, your dad is going to flip out. Your dad is going to lose it. Your, your, your dad is going to be so mad. And I'm saying, I, I, I really don't think so. I don't think, I don't think, do you know my dad? Have you ever met my dad? Because I, I, I know him pretty well. And I, I just, I, this isn't equating for me. And he's like, no, no, I'm telling you, he is going to lose his mind. Meanwhile, my dad is literally like right parked in the front and he's going to buy me, like buy, well, I bought my car, but he's going to bring me to buy the car. You know, I'm not one of those kids. I didn't get a free car for graduation. You know? <laughs> I wish, but you know, I'm looking at my dad and I'm saying, I don't know. I, I think he's pumped. I think we're going to go have a good day today. And he goes, he goes, I'm telling you, he's going to be angry. I said, I don't think so. My dad will be fine. He said, well, how do you know? And I said, cause I know my dad. I know my father. I hope today you become secure in the knowledge of who your heavenly father is so that no one else can tell you who he is. No circumstances, no emotions, no failures, but you begin to know your dad. Do you know your heavenly father? Do you understand how he speaks 
corrects and loves. Do you know that? Last week I spoke about how fathers are called by God to provide protection. But today I want to talk about how God, the father and fathers are called to provide provision. This is the calling of every father. That they come and they provide the things that, that truthfully, some things only fathers can provide. And, and, and so many people are searching desperately in the world for what their father has and the world does not have to give. And meanwhile, the enemy is constantly trying to steal away from you the very thing your heavenly father is trying to deliver to you. And you're stuck in between. But here's the truth. Only God can provide identity, love, and approval. These three things must come from your heavenly father. Identity, love, and approval. And make no mistake, you and I, we need these three things. They are cornerstones to our creation. They, they are building blocks, foundation for our whole life. You need all three, and only God can give you the fullness of these three things. And, and thankfully, God is here to provide those things. Well, you say, how do you know that? because he provided them for his son. And the Bible says we are co-heirs with Christ. He gives them to Jesus, but even through Jesus, he gives them to us. The first thing that God provides is identity. God is the provider, and he wants to bring identity to his children. This is what we see him do with Jesus. The Bible says as soon as he comes up out of the water, the first thing to happen is God speaks from heaven. Almost like a witness to what is happening. And he says, this is my son. What is that? That's identity. That's identity. The father, the heavenly father, is the one that must, should provide your identity. You need to know this. God claims you. God's looking down from heaven. He says, there he is. What is that? That's a claim. This is my son. That's mine. He claims you. The enemy's going to try and claim you. Your sin is going to try and claim you. Satan will try and claim you, but God, God's got first dibs. And God says, nope, they're mine. I call them before the dawn of creation. They're mine. And more than that, God marks you. You know, so many Christians are worried about the mark of the beast. Don't buy any Bitcoin. Might be the mark. Can I tell you? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is not something you have to be worried about accidentally getting. Because you're already marked. You're not marked by the beast. You're marked by a loving father. He has put his fingerprint, his hand on you, marked you by your spirit. If you could see in the spirit right now, you would see marks of God all over you. Wherever you go, you're different. And, and, and why? It's because you're his. Even if you tried to backslide, I got to tell you, you'll never be good at it again. You will be a bad backslider. And all of your friends will be like, yeah, he came back, but he's not the same. You're like, no, no, I am, guys. Nah, you're not. What are they sensing? God's mark. This is my son. When my son graduated this past week, he graduated uh, preschool. And... <laughs> It's a big day. <laughs> uh, you know, the final test was like blue, yellow, green. You're good. Go on. And uh, they called his name. 
and he had the little blue robe, you know, and tassels. I think it was probably the same one I wore, you know. <laughs> they said, uh, and today we welcome across the stage Micah Boyce. And he walks. But when they called his name, my whole section, because it was me, his grandparents showed up. I didn't even know they were invited. I don't know how they knew. They just showed up. <laughs> my wife, my kids, all my friends. Half the, We had a church section, you know. And when they said Micah Boyce, everyone's like, yeah, yeah. Please hold your clapping till the end. Why? This is my son. You say, well, what did he do? It's not about his actions. It's about his identity. And he gets it from his father. He gets it from his mother. He is claimed by us. There he is. And we're proud of him. The, the reality is much of your identity you will receive from your father. That could be a positive or that could be a negative, especially when we're speaking in terms of earthly father. But the reality is no matter what you have received from your earthly father, God is enough to fill in any gaps. And God is enough to reveal who you really are. But you do get much of your identity from your father. Look at Jesus. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he makes a statement about why he's here and what he's called to do. It's a famous one. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, well that makes sense when you realize who his dad is. Yeah. Joseph was a carpenter, but they didn't have a lot of wood in that time and in that area. So the, the, real, the real translation of the word is something more like craftsman or builder. Joseph was a builder. And well, what about, what about his heavenly father? What was his heavenly father interested in? God loves the church. It's his bride. It's what he's building and loving and going after. And look at both of these identities intersect within Jesus. And he, he personifies who his father is. And he says, I'm a builder. I'm a builder from Joseph, but I love the church from my father. So what am I gonna, I'm going to do? I am going to build my church. And then what, what does he say to Peter? And you're going to help. And, and now he begins to extend that identity over to Peter. We get to come under the identity of Jesus. But where did he get it? He got it from Joseph, his earthly father. And he got it from, from Yahweh, his heavenly father. And, and, and you, you, whatever you have received from your earthly father, it will intersect with your heavenly father. And whatever you have not received from your earthly father, your heavenly father can step in and he can provide. It will be more than enough for you to figure out who you are and why you're here. Because the reality is um, you, have, you, you will not begin to know who you are until you know whose you are. You've got to come to the Father to receive your identity. And, and Satan knows this, and, and, and the world knows this, and, and your enemy knows this. And, and you have to understand what Satan's always trying to do is invert what God is trying to do. You know, if you look at like uh, the Tower of Babel, that was an inversion of the Garden of Eden. Everything, everything God does, Satan tries to undercut, corrupt, and invert. And so if God's going to give you your identity, Satan is coming to steal your identity. Kill destroy, take, hurt, harm. That's his goal. And, 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 and he does it through, through the world, through society. He does it through many, many uh, um, false ideologies, poor doctrines. They come to steal your identity because he knows how powerful it is and he hates God. So he comes to attack. 
And, and many people don't realize that their identity is under attack, that the world is seeking to capture it, and really it's seeking to confuse it, seeking to confuse it. And we, we see that this is true, and this is true in many different ways, but I think one of the, one of the, um, the linchpin areas that the enemy is trying to steal and destroy people's identities is by getting them to identify through their sexuality. Tries to say your sexuality is who you are. That this small portion of you is who you are. But that is not who you are. And you know, the enemy even tries to attack even further by saying uh, your urges or your emotions or your failures is who you are. But please, let let me say this very clearly. You are more than what you feel. You are more than a collection of urges. You are more than your proclivities. Your identity should not ever be dictated by your sexuality. That is ungodly. Your identity should be determined by your heavenly Father. And let everything align with that. Submit that to God. And let God tell you who you are. Reveal it and shift, shift areas of your life that need to be shifted. You receive your identity only from your heavenly father. Well, maybe you're here and you're struggling. You say, I don't know who I am. And the truth is, it's not like you turn 18 and you figure out who you are, just like choosing a major. There are 30-year-olds, there are 60-year-olds in this room that are still struggling with their identity. You don't quite know who you are or why you're here or what you're called to do. And and the reality is age or time will not deliver your identity to you. And neither will success and neither will the world. I mean, all these things people look to will not deliver your identity to you. And even if you try and even if you invest and even if you go all in, it will not, it will not deliver your identity to you because it doesn't have the authority to deliver your identity to you. And I know that's a struggle of many people. I don't know who I am. But I would encourage you that in order... For your identity to be informed, you have to seek out your source. And I don't mean go to Ancestry.com. I mean your source. You have to go to an expert. Have you ever watched um, an appraisal of something valuable? And maybe you watched like uh, Antique Roadshow. That didn't work at first service either. (laughs) How old am I? I don't know, American Pickers, I don't know. Is, there, is this resonating somehow? Uh, Christie's Auction. I, I, you know what I'm talking about. Appraisal of valuable things. Estate sales, uh, yard sales. Do we get a yard sales? <laughs> Someone's pumped. They're going to a yard sale right after this. <laughs> You're going to go get some, like, uh, some Hot Wheels, go flip them for like 33 cents more on eBay. I'm with you. I got you. All right, so back to the point. If you've ever seen an appraisal process, the first thing that you do with a valuable item or an item you want to determine its worth is you bring it to an expert. And what the expert will begin to try and do is determine its source. The first thing they'll always ask is, where did you get this? Oh, it came from my grandmother. It came from my mother. Passed down from my father. I received it. they'll, They'll try and figure out, where did you acquire this item? But then they'll begin to find, is it marked by a year? Who is it produced by? What are they searching for? They're searching for its origin. They're searching for its source. Because that will even begin to reveal what the item is, 
what the purpose of the item is, its uniqueness, its rarity, and certainly its value. Please, please hear me. You've got to go to the source if you want to figure out just who you are, where you come from, why you're here, what your value is, what your worth is. You've got to go to an expert. You've got to go to the one that knows you, that made you in order to discover you. In order to discover who you are, you have to begin to know whose you are. You've got to go to your father. We see God have an interaction with the young prophet Jeremiah and begin to reveal his identity towards him. If you want to turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, God begins to speak to this young man and, and he gives him a choice. And I think this is the choice that, that a lot of us are in right now. We have the choice in our life. Will we self-identify or will we search out our God identity? You have a choice. And, and, and so God begins to speak to Jeremiah, and he has this choice as well. The word of the Lord, the Bible says. Now, the word of the Lord, interesting that it starts with the word of the Lord, because that's the source, came to me, Jeremiah, saying this, and, and I'm sure you've heard this famous verse, but, but I want you to really tune in, because it holds some, some, uh, some keys in it. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. What's God saying? He says, I knew you. I consecrated you. I appointed you. You don't need anybody else. He's done it all. You don't need anything else. He's done it all. And what's so powerful about this is that God's plan and his purpose for you predates your existence. Before you did anything, before you were anything, God had this whole plan set up for your life. He said, I knew you, I set you apart, and then I appointed you. And Jeremiah was appointed a prophet, but what are you appointed? Say, so I don't know. You gotta go to the source because he does know. And he will let you in on exactly why he made you. He's a craftsman and he doesn't make anything purposely, purposelessly. He's made you for a reason. And, and so God knows these things. But then here's Jeremiah's response. And many times it's, it's our response. In verse six, then I said, ah, Lord, God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. And isn't that the temptation of humanity is to self-identify with our shortcomings? I'm only. I'm only. I don't have enough. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough ability. I can't speak like you speak. If I had your confidence, if I, if I had your knowledge, or if I had your upbringing, if I had your father, if I had your bank account, if I had your setup, but I don't, I don't have those things. I don't know. I don't know who I am. I don't know what to do. And this, by the way, is what the world doubles down on and wants you to double down on. That you don't know, so we'll tell you who you are. And many times it tries to give you your identity out of who you're not. What, you, what you're not, what you don't have. I'm only. Think of how reductive that is. I'm only. It's small language. I'm only. It's a language of barriers. It's, it's a language of dissent. It's a language of little. And God's not going to have it. I just want you to know, God's not going to amen it. 
He's not going to agree with it. He's got a plan, a purpose, an appointment, and a consecration for you. And so even if you struggle in this area of self-identifying with your shortcomings, know that the word of God wants to come in and lift you out of that place and begin to speak a greater truth over your life and a greater reality over your future. And this is what God does with Jeremiah. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. God's not asking. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. You notice the pattern here? Three times God says, I, I, I. So, so, so Jeremiah says, I'm only, but God says, but I am. I am. I am. And he ends it by saying, and I will deliver you. I will sustain you. I will be with you says the Lord. See, what God's trying to say is don't wallow in that self-identification. Come up here and I will tell you who you are. I will tell you where to go. I will tell you what to do. And then I'll walk with you. I'll live with you. I'll deliver you. If you need deliverance, it comes from the voice of the Lord. I'll deliver you. What's he saying? I'll identify you. I'll tell you who you really are. I'll speak to you. I'll lead you. I'll walk with you. Hear me, you need to receive a revelation of your identity from your heavenly father. You desperately need a revelation. This is something that you, you, you have to receive. You have to be open to. Say, God, I'm not sure who I am, but I'm not going to live in that. God, come and speak. Come and reveal. I'm open. I'm open to hear from you who I am. The other day, my son came to me and shared with me an insecurity that he has uh, in, in his life, something that, you know, that he doesn't like about himself. And, uh, and I knew in that moment that what I say matters here. I got close and I held his face and I began to tell him who he is in God's eyes told him, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are designed by God. God loves you. God is for you. I love you. You're going to be all right. You're good. Don't be ashamed of any aspect of you. you know, don't, don't back down. You're, you're, you're unique. You're different. And that's a good thing. What did I do? I pointed to who God says he is, not what his shortcomings say he is. I'm not going to dig in that well. Oh, you don't like you? You don't like you? Well, let's go. Let's go get some light plastic surgery. Come on. I'm not going to dig in that well. While we're at it, let's change your name. What do you think? Spider-Man the third? Okay. Oh, you're, you're five. You're, you're, you're in charge. You're a genius. No, 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 no. The father gives identity. Let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you who you're called to be. Please hear me, parents. If you don't tell your children who they are, someone else will or something else will. But you are called to stand in the gap and to pull the source of heaven down to your children. Give them the word. Lift them up that they will be strong in the identity from their heavenly father. 
Can you say amen? But God's not done there. He doubles down. After he declares, this is my son, he says, whom I love. Love is what must come from your heavenly father. And this is a perfect form of love, something so much better than a fleeting thing. This is agape love. This is heavenly love. And, 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 and God declares it over Jesus and he declares it over you. I believe that the most secure place in the world should be in the love of a father. And the most secure place in the world is in the love of your heavenly father. And God declares it right off the top. You're mine and I love you. It's the simplest thing, but it's the most profound. It's the thing we're all searching for that we all desperately need. It's the love of God. Remember when I was younger, my parents gave me an MP3 player for Christmas, not an iPod, an MP3 player, it's pre-iPod. And so I loaded up my, uh, my favorite songs, the Space Jam soundtrack and, you know, and, uh, and they, on this, on this MP3 player was a radio. Now I was a Christian child, I wasn't allowed to listen to the radio, you know, but I did. And, so I, um, this is confession. Uh, I listen to 95.5 WBRU, you know, alt rock, you know. Now it's a K-Love, which, you know, downgrade. But, <laughs> but back when it was kicking, you know. <laughs> and so <laughs> some people are offended at that joke, and I like it. I like it. <laughs> so I remember we went on vacation, and I found some new radio stations. It was late at night. I was out of sleeping in the living room. We had this little studio out there. And, and I, I found this odd station. And, and it, was, it was, you know, so, so late. It was spewing weird news and conspiracy theories and stuff about the Iraq war and politics. And I was young and I, I didn't know what was happening. And I, I began to be gripped by fear. So much so, I couldn't reach out and turn it off. I was frozen. And as I was, as I was, uh, it was like a spirit being paralyzed. It, it got worse and worse and ramped up and ramped up. And it was like sewage being dumped into my brain. And I remember praying, God, I don't know what to do. You know, help me. And at that moment, my dad came out for a late night snack. <laughs> Chips Ahoy, if I remember correctly. And I don't know if he heard me or, or if he sent something. I, I don't know if he knew. But he comes over to where I am and he gets on his knees and he, he wraps me in a big hug. And in that moment, I, I felt a release. The grip of fear was broken in the arms of my father. And, and, and this is what God wants to do for you. The antidote to fear is not bravery. The antidote to fear is not courage. The antidote to fear is love. And the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. It cuts off that spirit's authority over your life. And this is what God wants to say, declare, and do for you. Say, this is my child whom I love. His, his goal is to wrap you in his arms. Every Sunday, I pray you feel wrapped in his arms. When you get in the word, I pray you get a revelation of his incredible love for you, that his grace pours out for you. In worship, you must come to know, even more than that, you must come to experience the love of God. 
because it will shift everything in your life. It will give you a different perspective when you are hugged and you are brought higher. Love elevates your faith. It brings it higher than the everyday, the struggles, and even the spirits that are far beneath God's authority that try and capture your life. Love elevates your faith. Almost like, like if you were to walk in, in a large city like downtown Boston or Manhattan and you were to walk amongst these giant skyscrapers, you would, you would be so small surrounded by these, these behemoths. And sometimes that, that's how it feels like to live life, that you're surrounded by problems that seem insurmountable, that just difficulties, trials and tribulations. And when you're in the middle of it all, fear wants to take hold and say, you'll never get out of this. These things are far bigger than you. You've got no ability here. But when God's love comes down and grabs you, it's like you get put on an airplane, 30,000 feet. And you can look at that same spot where everything seems so large, but when you're higher, you have a different perspective on those surroundings. You begin to see what was so large for you is quite small for God, that God's love can begin to give you faith you didn't even know you could have. So even in the midst of it, you could say to this mountain, be removed, and it will be cast into the sea. Not, not that the surroundings will instantaneously change, but God's love and protection and provision can begin to show you that he is far greater than even the great things that are surrounding you. And that his voice is the only voice that gets the final say. I think it's awesome that God speaks from heaven when Jesus is coming out of the water. You don't get something bigger than that. God shifts the perspective. All this stuff's going down here, but here comes the voice of God to supersede it all. This is my son whom I love. And I pray even today that you experience something as simple and supernaturally significant as a hug from the Almighty. I know some people come to church every Sunday just needing a hug. Whether you're getting it in worship or during the word or at the altar, when you come into the presence of the Lord, he will always wrap you in his embrace and that's more than enough. It's more than enough. Experiencing his love, his true love, will change your life it will change your lifestyle. It will change your faith. It will change your approach to God. I want you to know you don't approach an angry God every Sunday. You don't approach a frustrated God. You know, like a lot of anger and frustration comes from the unknown. You know, like we get frustrated when something happens we didn't expect. But God expects it all. And he knows you fully. So it's tough to shock him. You know, it's tough to surprise him. No surprise party has ever worked for God. He knows. And so when you come into his presence, I want you to know you come to a God that has open arms. And, and, and I want to speak for a moment to the parents in this place that, that this is important because how you show love to your children is how they will see God's love. You can either build this up, model it, or you could break it down and corrupt it. And so you have to, you, you must receive God's love, every one of us, but when you have children, you must begin to channel this thing and channel it the way that God has given it to you, because this will be fundamental in their understanding of who God is. And, and I know even for some of you, it was difficult to even hear about God the Father because of your own brokenness. 
And, and, and God had to help walk you through that. But please hear me. You can set up your children so that they don't have to walk through that. Even in your imperfection, you can be a model. Amen? And, and, and here's, here's three very quick things that you can do to be this model, to show the love. First, look for moments to communicate your love to your children. Look for moments, not, not just when it's easy for you, but when there's, a, when there's a moment, when there's fear, or where there's hurt, or where they're open, or where they're asking, or where they're listening. Those are the moments when you can communicate your love and you can relate it to God's love. The second thing you could do is love, do what they love. Get involved in what they are into. Because I think sometimes our proclivity as parents is to bring them along in our life. And I, I think that's phenomenal. I don't think your children should be an idol. They should come right along. But make it a point to invest and to integrate yourself into the things they are interested in. I thank God my kids love Star Wars because they'll never beat me. I, I grew I was, you merely adopted Star Wars. I was raised in it. They'll never beat me. I know all the Lord. Number three, love their mother, fathers. Love their mother. Mother, love their fathers. The greatest thing you could do for your child is to love their parent. And if there is divorce in the family, we know that, that that's never God's will, but I understand that there's many people are coming from brokenness and being healed, and, and maybe there are things even from the past. If there's divorce present, please hear me honor the other parent. Do not dishonor them in front of your children. Do not talk bad about them. Don't talk about, you know, what's wrong with them. This is why you have Facebook. Right? That's why you have girls night. This is not what your child should be hearing. You know, even, even, even within the marriage, watch what you say about their father or their mother under your breath. And don't ever use your child as a conduit, you know, to go tell your father, you know, unless it's like, you know, like it's lunch, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> don't use your child as a conduit. Well, I won't speak to them. We're divorced. Well, you guys decided. The child didn't decide. So you better figure it out. Write letters, send Morse code, carry your pigeons, but you figure it out. You don't make the child carry that weight. The best thing you could do for your child is to show them what God's love looks like. And the last thing that God speaks over Jesus and he speaks over you, he speaks identity, he speaks love, and lastly, he speaks approval. This is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. I really love this sentence. I really feel like I can sense God's attitude towards us in it. I am well pleased. There's contentment in it. There's graciousness in it. God wants to give you the approval that you desperately need and are searching for. And I feel like God has sent me here to tell you today that God is pleased with you. The enemy wants to say otherwise, but hear the voice, hear the word of the Lord and listen to what God's voice would say, with whom I am well pleased. God is pleased with you. Listen, listen, before you ever do anything, to please him. Jesus is at the very beginning of his ministry. There has not been a miracle. There hasn't been a healing. There hasn't been a parable. There hasn't been any preaching. So what is God's approval based on? Simply on the fact that this is my child. That's the approval. It's not based on your actions. It's based on your father. 
He bases his approval for you on himself. Therefore, it is unchanging. It is eternal and it is complete. God wants to give you approval. I think this is so important because we live in a society that is, that is filled with people looking for approval in the wrong ways, in the wrong areas. Many of us are chasing approval through achievement, thinking if I can just become, if I can just succeed, then I'll receive the approval of my peers, of my parents, or of my God. We're seeking to fill a void that God was meant to fill and wants to fill, but we're trying to do it through our own achievements. But I want you to know, uh, whether you land the client or you don't, whether you get the promotion or you don't, whether the business succeeds or it doesn't, that, that's not where God's approval comes from. It doesn't come from your achievements. It comes from himself, his unchanging nature. This is the one that I love and I'm well pleased. Well, what did they do? They existed. And that's good enough for me. And sometimes many of us are sourcing a approval from attention. We conflate the two as if they're the same. If I could get enough attention, if people will listen to me, and, and many people use whatever they got for, for attention, use your bodies, use your position, use all these different things that are lesser to get attention and say, well, that's close enough to approval. That's close enough. But God wants to give you the real thing. He'll give you the attention you need, but really the approval you're really searching for to keep you from living a foolish life. I think many people struggle in the areas of anger because they feel a lack of approval. In fact, people that feel a lack of approval, many times they're angry at everyone. They don't even know why. There's just Vesuvius bubbling under the surface and anything can set them off. They're competing with everyone. They're frustrated with everyone. Everyone's lesser, everyone's wrong. And you know what's really missing there is the approving love of a father. And God can come in and he can touch the source of that thing and he can set you free from that anger that is trying to direct and ultimately destroy your life. God wants to come in and say, hey, I'm well pleased with you. Like God approves of you before you even play the game. You know, he just says, hey, whatever the score is, you're good. God views your whole life as if like toddlers playing soccer. You think you're killing it and it really doesn't matter. Also that you're scoring your own goal but God's on the side saying, this is my son. This is my daughter whom I love and I am well pleased. John 1, 12 says this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. This is our divine right to receive exactly what God gave Jesus. Your heavenly father is here to provide for you today, right now in this moment. Provide identity, provide love, and provide approval simply because you're his child. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.